You're listening to the Just Giants Podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. To the 35, as Manning fires downfield, looking for Beckham, he draws a flag and he makes the catch with Greg Stroman defending. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the football grump, and with me as always is Mike, the Cranky Fan. Hey, Grump. I'm going through a rough patch in my sports fandom. I just got back from the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, Gator Loss. Tonight, just got back from Madison Square Garden, a Nick Loss. I might have East Lake Eagles lost to my arch enemy Countryside Cougars on Friday, another loss. And tomorrow, we are getting ready for Giants, Cowboys, and... Look at the Magic 8-Ball. Don't look good. Well, the Giants are hosting the Cowboys at 8.25 or whatever time Monday Night Football starts these days. It's off by 10 minutes like every other year, I feel like. Um, You know, the interesting thing is that there are something like only four current Giants that have seen a Giants win over the Cowboys. I guess seen as in, like, been on the team. Um and that it doesn't really feel like a rivalry game for them, kind of for that reason. You know, we've had our our little debate, you know, with our somewhat generational gap about how you view this as a more bitter rivalry than I do, and I view the Eagles rivalry a little bit more than you do. Yeah. I mean, rivalries, to me, a true rival transcends what's happened in the last two games or five games or ten games. It's just a... It's in your gut. I hate this team. I hate those colors. I hate those fans. I hate that tradition. I hate that stadium. I hate everything. And um, this has been rather one-sided lately, but it's still the Cowboys, and I still hate them. I still think they hate us as well. Um, Rivalries will flare up more with a more competitive balance. You know, we've been 5-5 and over the last 10, and, you know, this – if the stakes get bigger for each game or not. But uh, players are different, too. Players are professionals. They are not... Yeah, they're they're like friends off the field often. Yeah, and also, you know, if you are drafted by the Cowboys and you you lived your whole life, let's say, in Seattle and you went to University of Washington and all of a sudden you get drafted by the Cowboys, it's hard to turn that switch on for all of a sudden I hate this team. You know, it's it happens with with personal experience and you may not have that that hatred for a team unless they smack you personally in the mouth. Fans have been around long enough to know at some point everybody has smacked you in the mouth at least once in your life. Yeah, I mean, I I think for us, too, it's a little bit um, more regional where, you know, you live in New York City. And you you grew up in Florida, so you have more of that, um, I I would say, disconnect. Whereas I live in New Jersey, so I see the Philadelphia fans in my day-to-day life. Yeah, you you live in an area where there's that brackish water, where there's always going to be, you know, both in that, you know, the line from fresh water to salt water is going to go up and down based upon, quite frankly, the success of both teams. Right. That happens with the uh, 
that happens with all teams that are close in proximity. Who's better, the more fans absorb. And you know, I grew up in before I moved to Florida in Long Island, where it was kind of Texas Giants, but you know, never did the two really ever meet. So it wasn't as something like the you know, Giants Eagles, where you played twice a year, sometimes a third time in the playoffs. So that's a little different, but uh, I can certainly understand where that could be more of a. Uh, a street fight among neighbors and things and uh, yeah, purely what's going on in the field. Interesting thing that I had thought of at some time, and this is super off topic, but I, I because I don't really care about the – I mean I, I don't get me wrong. Cowboys easily my second hated team and it, it – year to year, player to player, roster to roster doesn't change. I, I hate that team. But I like that, that close proximity rivalry that you get in hockey. Where the Islanders, Rangers, Devils, Flyers—that is contentious. Yeah. Um, and uh, I really would not give a shit if um the Cowboys transitioned to the NFC South and the Panthers transitioned to the NFC East, and then you built that Washington Carolina rivalry up. It won't ever happen, and I know that like eighty-eight yeah. percent of the NFL fan base would hate that move, but you know, I I think that would be interesting. Just me. It's not my job to worry about building other rivalries, <laughs> honestly. And, you know, it's um, the thing I like about when we went to this four-team division thing was there were honestly four teams that I hate in my division. You yeah. know, you you kind of had some divisions that were kind of teams were just thrown together into it. Um, some of them helped create some geographic ones. Some had no effect. I know, you know, the NFC South, for example, you know, the Bucks. For years, are in the NFC, the Norris Division, as Chris Berman used to call it. But now they have they they kind of manufactured regional rivalries with New Orleans and Atlanta mm-hmm. and Carolina. But you know, I know a lot of Buck fans, and it's more about well, they're in my division more than I hate them because they're from Atlanta or they're from New Orleans. So, and also too. You know, a place like that, you're talking pretty big distances. The distance from Tampa to New Orleans is, you know, 500 miles, and Atlanta is 300 miles or something. Where it's, it's not the same as it is up here. We have much more of a density of teams and everything. So, um, there's absolutely no way they would ever split up the Giants and the Cowboys at this no, point. I understand that. At least one of the two is always a prime time game. Uh, the other one is usually, you know, the game of the week on the Sunday afternoon. They generate ginormous ratings and uh it's just not going to happen yeah i mean the only I, I, it's really not so much getting rid of the cowboys as it is including carolina and the only way it would really happen is if there's some sort of expansion that went to like five team divisions or something like that um but what, whatever um in any case we had an extra day's rest because of this monday night game and um, it appeared that both Corey Ballantyne and Sterling Shepard were finally out of the concussion protocol. That was reported, I believe, Saturday, right? That's correct. And then – or Friday afternoon. But they did practice – they both practiced Friday in, in contact drills, which I, I I don't know enough about the concussion protocol to know how the hell that could possibly work where they're not officially cleared from concussion protocol but can practice in con- – Contact. I don't get that at all. But um, it was reported, I believe, this morning that Sterling Shepard 
was placed back in the concussion protocol because he woke up suffering from more symptoms, uh, migraines, or I, I don't know if it was actually reported what symptom it was, but um, and that has sparked the debate. And the debate honestly was ongoing from when he was clear from the concussion protocol. Many giant fans thought it was stupid to even bother. Um, your thoughts? The season's over. I mean, the most important thing is making sure this guy is healthy, you know, and completely healthy. Forget about even for 2020 and beyond or his career at the Giants or in the NFL. It's get this guy right. And there's no sense risking his health for a, which is, sorry to say, Giant fans, the rest of the season is meaningless from a win-loss perspective. Um, I would shut him down for the year and get him healthy. And I don't think... I wouldn't even bat an eyelash thinking about it either. Um, I'll say this much. I'm indifferent to that uh, th- this season. If they decided to shut him down for the season, I understand that the season is lost and don't care. My thing is that you know, I'm not a doctor, but I don't believe that he is any more at risk. Like, I don't know there's any more healing that can take place in terms of repeat concussions over time. My understanding is, and it could be wrong, is that once you're cleared, you're just cleared. And you don't – you don't. it's not It's not like a broken bone that can continue to heal even though it's healed or, or, or anything like that. It just – it's just you're done suffering from that concussion at that point and that is what it is. You don't continue to get better in between intervals. So if he were to clear the concussion protocol and can c- continue to play – I, I I really can't fault the organization for doing that because I don't know that there's actually any benefit from shutting him down. All I know is, again, I'm not a doctor either. I just played one on this podcast, but he's been in the, the protocol twice this year and he couldn't get out of it the second time. Yeah. Some, something is – I don't know how they determine grades of concussion, like a grade one or a grade two or what's going on, but this seems to be – lingering longer than oh, sure. your average one. So something to me, something's going on. And I think that's kind of the part of the problem is that for so long, this field of medicine was not researched well enough. And part of that blame lies with the league in preventing this sort of stuff to come to light. Um, and I don't know that there is a grading system for concussions. I don't know yeah. that there are major and minor ones. And also, we don't know all the facts because there may be stuff, you know, patient privacy laws or something that sure. prevents them from saying specifically this is what it is. You know, yeah. they, they quite often they will say, you know, the bare minimum for a uh, an injury report. And, you know, quite frankly, the only reason there's an injury report is for gambling. I mean, yeah. that's yeah. the only reason why we have it. So um, we don't really know what the true story is. And, you know. All I do know is that he's been in it a while. He couldn't get out of it again, and something ain't right. Yeah. So, I mean, even if we were, even if we were fighting for a playoff spot, you know, it's one of those things where if he can't get out of it. Something is wrong. I think the fact that completely out of it really means there's absolutely zero reason to risk and is is health or his future. So, what would you think about not placing him on IR? but also not playing him in games for the rest of the season, but allowing him to continue to practice as much as he can in the concussion protocol, or even if he's out of the concussion protocol, 
but continuing to get reps with Daniel Jones in practice every week and being in those meetings every week. Well, you can be in the you can be in the meetings, and I guess well, yeah. You know, but he can't run not, drills if he's on IR. He can't run drills at all. Yeah, exactly. But he can in the concussion protocol, apparently. Um, I would say if he's not going to play this year, there's a lot of things that Daniel Jones needs to work on from a getting up to speed to be a a, a fully functional NFL quarterback, and I think. Trying to get your timing with a guy like Shepard is not going to play. I think it's just a waste of valuable practice time. And I would say if he's on the shelf, he's on the shelf. And let him let him get right. And then let them start, you know, over next offseason and OTAs and all that stuff, getting the timing down and everything. I guess so. I don't know. I just – it's such iffy water for me because I, I don't know that, A, I know enough. I I know for a fact I don't know enough, but I don't know that anyone knows enough about this field of medicine to really, you know, make a judgment call that's like this is definitely what should happen, this is definitely what should not happen, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And you know, it just is what it is. I, I yeah. I, I, by the bottom line is, I just don't see pushing something where there's no reason to push. Yeah, but I don't think they're pushing. I mean, just you know, right? Exactly. I think they're doing. I think the right now the right thing is happening. I mean, he's still in a. In the protocol, and right. they're not being like, you know, well, maybe we can kind of get away with it. Not there, you know, he's still in it. Yeah. So they haven't made the decision yet to shut him down for the year if they're even going to do that. But, you know, if it was me, you know, he's still going to get paid for the year. It's not a question of not getting paid. Um, I would have a very, very, you know, a, a real conversation between him, Shermer, Gettleman, and maybe Mara to say what's best for him. Yeah. What is his uh? What's his contract situation? He just signed an extension for four years. All right, so that's not an issue. Yeah. You know, it's not. It's not something like, well, now he's going to be a free agent, and you're jeopardizing a major payday. Yeah, no. He's got. The, he has the the uh, you know, as much security as an NFL player will actually get. But um, you know, I, I I think you kind of just you shut it down and get right for next year. Sure, that'd be me. Um. On the flip side of things, uh, Dallas Leighton Vanderesh is questionable with a neck injury. Um, that's a big part of their defense, and Tyron Smith is fighting off an ankle injury. He's he's still limited, but I mean there there's a chance that he won't be able to finish this game. Um, so, uh, you know those are those are kind of the guys to keep your eye on. Uh, no, I don't believe anyone of significance has been ruled out for Dallas. Um, but again, the only the only injury really for the Giants side of things is Sterling Shepard, as Corey Ballantyne has passed the con- concussion protocol, and uh, will be returning tomorrow night. I'll be interested to see how um, Saquon Barkley looks with it. You know, after a, a couple weeks of playing now, they'll continued looking more and more like his old self. You know, it's I still think it's a miracle how he came back so fast to begin with. I was expecting the worst. Um, you know, as you know, he's getting more reps with practice as he's getting more recovery time after more pounding in a game. Let's see, you know, each week as he's getting more and more like his old self. So that's something I'm going to be looking for kind of as an injury related, um, question. Yeah. I, um, and Barkley is going to be like a, a big part of what makes this team work. 
Um, we started to see a little bit more creativity last week with him coming out of the backfield to catch passes that we've been waiting to see, frankly, since he was drafted. I mean, we haven't really seen too much different in terms of his route concepts than what we've seen with Rashad Jennings and insert any other run-of-the-mill running back, which makes no sense given why he was drafted, what makes him special. Um, but we finally started to see some arrow routes and, you know, actual routes out of the backfield, not just kind of like chip block, then turn around and wait for the check down kind of situation or, you know, flare out of the backfield kind of just in the flat, silly things like that. But, you know, him. I think a lot of that was built on necessity, too, with the offensive line, how it's, you know, you know, I know people think it's the end of the world right now, the offensive line, but it's still better than it was. And you can do a little more. Know, open up a little more of the playbook because you can do some things too. So yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, I kind of looked back at week one, my notes for what the keys of the game were and uh, how right and how wrong I was. Um, and I think when I talked about offensively was right on the money, and the Giants did exactly not what I said, um, <laughs> and specifically. Don't bother testing the sideline speed of their linebackers because they're really good, all of them. Lee, Vanderesh, Jalen Smith, they're all really good. And if they're going to lean on the run to get the linebackers to start biting on play action and use Ingram and Latimer or Darius Slayton to stretch the field, then they need to do that up the middle. It might seem like running right into the teeth of it, but trust me when I tell you that that is going to be the way to do it. Um and what that ends up doing is it allows you to test their mediocre secondary. You know, you, you make that play action work by running up the middle and then you use the play action. Running side to side is not – you can't outrun that trio of guys. Um, that's what they decided to do week one anyway. Where I was wrong was defensively. You know, I, I said, you know, force Dak to throw because he's not a good quarterback. And I'm not totally wrong with that. But what they need to do is win the line of scrimmage. They're better on defense week nine than they were week one. They were a train wreck week one. And the line needs to do better. But they need to stop the run, but more importantly, get to Dak. That's where I was wrong. The additional weapons that Dallas has found a way to get for Dak has made them more potent offensively, made them more versatile offensively. And um, but, but Dak is still wildly inconsistent with his accuracy, and he gets worse when he gets hit. So they need to hit him. It's not just force him to throw. It's force him to be off balance. Um, And while we're talking about that, I think it's important to note um, something that Shermer said is that this team is better now than they were week one. What are your thoughts on that? How do you feel about that statement? uh, (laughs) I kind of feel... It's bits and spurts of better than they were. You know, there's some things we're seeing. I mean, obviously, and also you can kind of look at this in two ways. You know, for 2019, how are they better? And as part of the overall plan to, you know, implement new systems and their overall rebuild, where are we? Um, obviously, I think the offense is better because of the the added things that Daniel Jones brings to the table. I think just his ability to have the slightest bit of mobility and the slightest interest in wanting to be mobile opens up so much more for this offense that Eli Manning 
could not have provided. And I think the way this offensive line is kind of slowly deteriorated you know, throughout the course of the season, I think it could have been even more of a disaster if you saw Eli back there. So in that sense, you know, I think it's, it's getting better. Um, you know, obviously losing Barkley for a good chunk of the, the regular season so far is hurt, but even before he got hurt, you know, um, I expected a little bit more of a leap from him to be as much as the superstar game changer that the media had already anointed him as being. So I, I think that still has to come a little bit. Um, the defense, I knew we were going to have some problems this year. I knew, you know, with the, uh, the new faces in the secondary, uh, I knew it was going to be a problem and it's been a problem. And I just, I, I just want them to stay the course with these guys. These guys need to get the reps now and play and determine, are they really going to be factors in the future of this team or not? So, I mean, I, I've been pretty much spot on what my predictions were for this year, um, but better than they were at the beginning of the year overall. I think it's hard to see, but I think they are a little better. I mean, I think they're better, but not necessarily. In, I mean, I think there's obvious things that made them better. Uh, the biggest thing is third down efficiency, and you can look right at the raw numbers, right? You look at week one, this is putrid. The Giants' third down efficiency is 18%. That is so bad, it's almost worthy of not being an NFL stat. You look at last week, there were 58% efficiency on offense, on third down. And I think two of the things that attribute to that are things that were not necessarily not there week one. I mean, in terms of roster building. They were not there in terms of actually playing, and that is Daniel Jones and, like you said, his ability to run on third down. When nothing is open downfield, he is able to pick up yards, and that leads to third and short. And it also, in what would normally be a dead play with an incomplete pass, with something being forced or a check down that results in only one to two yards, you get a run of maybe four to five yards. And also on third down itself, just being able to run. And then the other thing is Golden Tate, who is suspended for the first four years. Uh, I almost said years, first four weeks, Golden Tate has been a third down monster. I mean, he is that guy, that that Steve Smith type quality of just finding a soft spot in the zone, gets two yards more than is needed every time. And he really has added a dimension to this offense that was very clearly missing the first four weeks. That, that just, you know finding that spot and making the catch. And they're always, I mean, not always, they're usually tough contested catches or he's winning right off the line Um, or winning hand fighting, you know, those drawing pass interference or holding calls or something. That's, that's the most analytical statistical way of looking at the improvement on this team. You can look at the, the passing yard stats to see the difference in the secondary. And we said it on this podcast. Look, I think that this is a lot of talent they brought in on defense, but don't expect week one to have a shutdown secondary because it won't happen. It's a lot of new faces, a lot of young faces back there. And that's what we saw. I mean, this secondary was, I mean, it was tough to watch. I mean, we were in Tampa just watching Mike Evans do his thing. And it was like, I don't even know why I was wearing my jersey at that point. Yeah, but let's fast forward, though. I mean, last week against against the Lions, mm-hmm. did you really feel like it? I mean, 
and I'm, I'm giving them a pass. I'm not saying I expected by the time week eight even we are. I mean, are you seeing noticeable improvement or are you still, you know, seeing guys that are lost and it's just going to take a while to kind of for individuals and a collective unit to click? I mean, again, this is this is a less statistical approach of what I'm looking at with the third down efficiency. But yes, they're still giving up passing yards. But what you're seeing, what we saw weeks one and two were plays where there wasn't a defensive back within 15, 20 yards of a wide receiver. Truly blown coverages. What we're seeing now is contested catches not going their way or just just being a little bit off. We're watching that timing and like we're not seeing blown assignments like we were for starters. And they're still getting better. And we're not saying that they that this is where they're at. Like this is as good as it gets. We're seeing the progress, right? I mean, this can be a much they are much better. They can be a shutdown secondary. They're still growing. I mean, these are young guys. Um it, it's it's truly not that we were watching that Bills game and we were like, oh my god, it was just like just blown coverages like once per drive. We're not seeing that now. I mean, the only one you could say in the Detroit game was a fucking flea flicker, you know? Um, yeah. So the bottom line is, it's still too early to make any evaluations on you know. Who's a keeper? Who's not a keeper? Who's this? But we are seeing, yeah. we are seeing some stabilization. Which, again, we put that under the bucket of long term as opposed to this year, really. Mm. Yes. I mean, we. I think we've kind of established that this year is kind of shot from a wins loss perspective and making the playoffs or anything. So it's it all really turns into a year long evaluation of who do we want to kind of see as anchors towards the future. So that's a to be determined, but. What we're seeing, we're cautiously optimistic about. Yeah. Once you get past, once you get past those just ugh, type of plays, individual plays. Absolutely, and it's it's very difficult to judge um, the offense because they've been shuffling in key players in and out, right? Like Shepard's been out for a while. Tate wasn't there in the beginning. Barkley was out for a while. They never didn't. We we haven't yet seen this roster come to the fruition it was supposed to come in when it was put together. Um, but, I mean, we can look at the points, right? I mean, first two weeks, we see 17 points scored, some in garbage time, 14 points scored. Last two weeks, 21 points scored and 26 points scored. This team is better. They're not there yet, A, but we knew that. And B, yeah. they're not done growing. Yeah, I guess the thing is kind of not there yet is not even discussion. I don't think we're going to have until we do, you know, episode 323 of the show. Um, the question is going to be, you know, what do we take going into the off season and build from? That's, that's all I'm really looking at right now and uh, hoping that there's less of those, you know, Terrible plays and things. It just kind of takes everybody's eye off the ball and what's going on. If you see, you know, a flea flicker that as a blown coverage or something, don't let that distract you from what's going on on a play-by-play, series-by-series, game-by-game basis. I think you know the mistakes right. this team is making are glaring mistakes, and they're they're headline-making ones, and they're ones that people are going to go all ape shit about. But 
the frequencyism goes down, that's when you get you know some hope. So you can look at some player improvements too, right? Like neither one of us thought Darius Slayton would make an honest to goodness contribution until maybe late in the year, maybe just punt return duties or something like that. He's become what looks to be a legitimate number three option on this offense. And he hasn't had the benefit of playing with a number one and number two like Tate and Shepard and uh, also playing with Ingram. He hasn't had that opportunity. He's still proved himself to be a uh, worthy target. Um, you can look at, you know, it's a shame we haven't didn't get to see it, but Ryan Connolly stepped up in ways that we weren't expecting at all. Way, made his way to starting and doing well starting. Um these little Those, things are in the pass rush for the first two weeks was not it was it was more the same. It's not there at all. You know, that's one that obviously still needs to improve. All those areas still need to improve with wide receivers and, you know, just the passing game in general and the, the pass rush needs to get better. But Marcus Golden has proved himself to be a, a true bounce back candidate. He's been consistently getting sacks. Well, let's see now with the trade what that does. For yeah, the pass exactly. rush as well. For real. Oh, yeah. We have some new personnel now to see if that we can improve that also. One of, one of the stories this week, um, I just want to mention this briefly because I had enough to say about it on Twitter, but you know, I didn't get, I didn't get the cranky fan side of it. But uh, one of the stories this week that came from multiple uh, I, I, media members was that Gettleman has not made himself available to the media, and that was criticized enough. But then he did like an interview with the team's media guy. Which is not really a, a, a good interview because it's you know it, it's like a mouthpiece for the organization and and I get that I understand that um, and this this really came to light around the Leonard Williams trade because it was somewhat controversial because is D line really necessary you know you gave up a third round pick the guy's a free agent at the end of the year my 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 thing is though while I agree that there are plenty of questions around the trade itself. And I admitted when it happened that I wasn't really sure I understood it. Um, that's fine. But where this this thing is where writers are telling us that the fans deserve to know answers and that, you know, he shouldn't be hiding from the media. I don't really care. Um, I, I yeah, I, I just it's just very simple for me. A, he's not going to give anything to the media that is going to give away the plan. Because that's his fucking job, right? I mean, his job, he answers to the mayors only. That's it. That's his job. The mayors know the plan, or they should. If they don't, then that's their fucking fault, and we have a whole other conversation on our hands. But it's assumed that the mayors know Dave Gettleman's plan. They know the length of time this plan's going to take. And while they may not sign off on every single move, which they probably don't, they understand how it fits into this plan. And if they have any questions, then they fucking question him. That's the thing that matters. We as fans are not entitled to any of that information. We are not. Just because we're paying customers does not mean that we deserve to know all the ins and outs of every single fucking move. It means that the GMs owe their owners a winning team that they can then give to their paying customers. That's what they are. We don't deserve to know every single step. And that that relationship is, is one part removed. And quite frankly... I wouldn't want him to give completely transparent answers because I don't want the rest of the league to know completely transparent answers. I just think it's silly where where people think that we deserve to know some of this information. We don't. 
Grump, first of all, the the explanation that the fans have a right to know, that's bullshit. Because what it is is traditional media is becoming a dying industry. The the beat writer, the columnist, the TV reporter is very slowly but deliberately being squeezed out as being the only source of information between the team and the public. They're being squeezed out by you know, bloggers and podcasters and people on pay sites and, and people who just get information faster, usually more accurately and usually with less bias than the old school is. So when they're saying they have a right to know, what they're really saying is you are further impeding my ability to be relevant and thus threatening my job. So I don't – that to me is just crying about themselves more than anything else. People that are complaining about this whole thing with Gettleman, I would guarantee you there is a direct correlation if you're upset about this to what is your personal opinion of Dave Gettleman. Yes. Dave Gettleman is a guy where people just don't – there are nobody out there who has really no opinion about Dave Gettleman. You either think he's doing a good job and just want him to do his job or you just don't like him personally and everything he does you're going to be pissed off about. So this is something where at the end of the day you're probably going to get as much honest information whether it is Bob Papa asking the question or you know the most hardened beat writer out there who's going to you know go after him. So, you know, what happens if there's a press conference? You're going to get these questions. You're going to get the standard stock coach speak answers you're going to get. Exactly. And that's the end of it. So if you're in, you know, a contained, you know, structured environment like, a, you know, a video or something, you might actually get a little more honesty out of it. You might have a question tailored in a way you might hear an insight or two more than – a, a, a press corps is going to come in there with an antagonistic opinion anyway and, and, a, and make it a hostile environment. And Gettleman has proven that he does not handle hostile environments well anyway. So, you know, the media is going to want to make stories and they will create themselves as part of the story to have a story. So to me, this is all a, a non-issue. And especially for what I really consider a very minor transaction. Yeah, I mean, that's this, how the, that's this, what started this for me. This this isn't you are ducking the Odell Beckham trade. Yeah. This isn't you are ducking the benching of Eli Manning. This isn't the ducking of you drafted Daniel Jones. This is you basically got a guy who's borderline on the on the scrap heap and who's going for a you know a a, a trial run with this and giving up you know a small you know draft pick haul, nothing, but nothing is going to break the bank. So this is as if you just don't like the guy, you're just finding another reason to, to, to whine and bitch. Yeah, there's there's two two little things here at play. For, for starters for me was what, what really struck me is that this was coming out of a transaction that to me seemed like a fair transaction. I think the Jets got fair compensation for a player. Um, I don't – you could we can argue about the the strangeness of getting a guy who is about to be a free agent, but 
It was also reported today that they have opened up negotiations and the Giants want to have him re-signed before Thanksgiving. That's in three fucking weeks. You know, whatever though. I mean, this was – the reaction to this was as if we had traded three first-round picks for Ryan Leaf. This is is not the transaction to blow your head over. I I just – seem to be reeking of something else and you know you know maybe it's a little bit of uh media bias because it impedes their work and their ability to do their work maybe it's previously existing bias from a, a gm that you already don't like sure that's definitely possible i think it's more than that though it's that this team is two and six and it's just another thing in that gun it's just another bullet in that gun the only image that matters is that this team is two and six. Nobody gives a fuck about this trade if this team is six and two. Nobody cares. And quite frankly, until we get to that point, there's going to be griping and complaining about every minor little thing that happens. About well, this this isn't a gripe about the trade. This is a gripe about the, the alleged ducking. This is the this is the way Gettleman is presenting himself and the way he wants to get his message out or lack of message out. And the controlled – I mean this – and this is kind of guilt by association or guilt by playing in the same market. This is a move the Knicks would do. This is a – this reeks of a James Dolan. You know, I, I've been to – as a Knicks season ticket holder, I've been to plenty of these preseason you know, forums they have where they trot out the GM and the coach. And Mike Bream has these softball questions and these elaborate – uh, massage answers that are delivered. That's what we get from the Knicks. And, you know, the Giants have been acting kind of erratic in the last 10 years, certainly since Wellington passed away. Um, not to say that uh, the mayors right now are acting like a Dolan, but this is not the rock of stability it was, you know, a decade earlier. And these are kind of things where the, it just the appearance of trying to control the message is there. And it's not a big deal, but to your point, if you're losing, if on the surface the rebuild doesn't seem to be as far along as you want it to be, you know, you're going to start to bitch. And again, with a polarizing GM, it's just more of a story than it is. So from my standpoint – I don't give a shit how the news comes out. I just want to be able to find out about it as much as I can and make my own conclusions about whether these pieces fit. So. Yeah, I mean, I said my piece. I, I truly don't give a shit about this. I, I to <laughs> me, if you feel strongly about this, then uh, I think I think you have more important things to worry about. So you've already made your mind up about a lot of things about this team too. I, so yeah, I, yeah. it's just it's just a reinforcement of what you believe. Uh, one last uh, personnel kind of thing that we need to go over is Sam Beal will not play in this game. Uh, makes sense, right? And people were kind of fired up like, oh, he's not active for this game. Like, the dude hasn't practiced in like two years. Yeah. Let him Relax. Let him get his shit together. And even when he's active, don't be surprised if Janoris Jenkins, your most hated best defensive player we have, by the way, uh, continues to play and Beal continues to ride the pine. The dude literally hasn't practiced in forever. So yeah. just kind of take a chill pill. Yeah, exactly. Um, with that, uh, we, you know, one of our uh, staunch listeners, I guess you'd call him a, a real uh, just gianter, 
I'll a have friend to, of the to, pod. Yeah, the friend a of the first, pod. Yeah. Uh, the real Frank the Tank kind of weighed in on some of the things we were talking about where, you know, the Cranky fan brought up, um, you know, Saquon Barkley being pulled off the field on third down more often than uh, we expected. And uh, apparently he has admitted himself to struggling with blocking on third down. Uh, I don't remember seeing that anywhere and, you know, what, whatever. I, I, I believe it. Um, I did notice in the Detroit game that he got his ass trucked by Jared Davis um, and forced a, an errant throw by Daniel Jones. But, you know, I, I guess that's one of those things. We do forget that he's only a second-year player. You know, there there are things that he can continue to improve on, including blocking. That's true, but, you know, having a – I know people – a lot of coaches like to harp on it, and you hear it more so in college than you do in the pros. That if you can't block, you're not going to be on the field. You know, when you have a a weapon at the, at the caliber of Saquon Barkley, sometimes I wonder, you know, if you're not having him on the field potential potentially 33 percent of the time, you know, are you you know throwing the baby out with the bathwater? So, you know, obviously his is his blocking has to improve, but at some point it's like. At what uh, cost are you trying to get more of a pass rush, uh, a pass blocking in there? So it'll be interesting to, to kind of monitor that as we keep going. Yeah, I think my other thing with that is, all right, so then make it better. You know what I mean? Like, if it's something that he needs more film time with, then spend more film time with him. If it's something physically he needs to get better with, then spend time with him in individual drills doing that. Find a way to make it better. I mean, we know what he does catching the ball, running the ball. He knows the plays. If there's an improvement that he can make that will get him on the field for third down or make you feel comfortable keeping on field in third down, then you should make it. It's too important a down to not have him there, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Especially in something where, you know, the check down may be needed. You know, and if you know the as Daniel Jones gets more comfortable as a starter and starts looking at more and more reads and nothing's nobody's open having that safety valve of Saquon Barkley might be the best safety valve in the league right now and if that's quite a drop off going from Saquon Barkley to Wayne Gallman so absolutely I mean that's the difference right there you make a check down to Wayne Gallman and he gets four yards instead of six and there's a decent chance that uh Barkley gets 12 yards instead of six you know what I mean so it seems weird taking your playmaker off the field on third down. But, you know, again, we don't sit in the film room with them. We don't know if it's just physical uh, inadequacy with his blocking, you know, how he's setting himself up, how he's handling it, how long he's holding a block for, or if it's mental, where he's just missing his assignment entirely. And that cannot that can not always result in an actual sack or something like that. It could be that he's not even going to the right place. Nobody rushed from there, but he's supposed to go somewhere. You know what I mean? Like it may be something where unless we have the actual play in front of us that we don't know he did wrong. So right. who who knows? Um The real Frank the Tank also said that uh Nate Solder did have ankle surgery this offseason, and his kick slide seems to be one of the bigger issues in his pass-blocking sets. Could it possibly be lingering from that? I would think that it's possible, but I should fucking hope not. Right? I mean, like, 
you would think that most off-season surgeries, unless it's something like uh, like an ACL tear that truly requires a full year's or year and a half recovery to get back to 100%, that he should not still be feeling the effects of that. Yeah, again, we're not doctors, but you don't know what the recovery did. Maybe it uh, impacted his balance or did something in his workout routine that made him off center or something. I don't know. I mean, it, it's certainly possible. I mean, there's been a, a significant downgrade in his play. And, uh, you know, I think everything's up, open for, you know, trying to figure it out what's going on. So, again, these are things we're never going to know as they're happening. You know, it might come out later that this was the cause, but he, he might be onto something there because oh, definitely. He's, not the, he's not the same guy we signed. That's for sure. I would say he's not even the same guy he was last year. Yeah. I would say that he was much closer to average last year, and this year he's definitely playing below average football as of the last couple weeks. But let's stop with the Eric Flowers comparisons, please. Yeah, It's not that bad. Yeah. Nothing nothing has been that bad <laughs> since or before. Yeah. And that sort of just leaves us with our predictions. What are your thoughts? <laughs> My first question is, how did this team lose to the Jets? Oh, my God. And, <laughs> and I'll preface pretty much everything we say and any criticism we have of the New York football Giants is that we are not the Jets. And I don't know if they are in tank mode or what they're doing, but when you hire these buffoons to be your general managers and your head coaches, these things shouldn't be a surprise. But that's an, for an episode of Just Jets. We are Just Giants. I um I don't know. I you know this is usually my least favorite game and night of the year, the the Monday night game when the when the Cowboys come to town. It's the uh it's the complete shit show at the Meadowlands. Um bandwagon cowboy fan is usually in full effect. People who have no idea where Arlington, Texas is, thick New Jersey accents. Uh, it's just a lot of testosterone, like a convention of bar stool. It, it's awful. Um, I, until I'm proven otherwise, I don't think this giant team's going to be winning for a while. I don't see them playing against a playoff team and beating them. Um, every time we criticize Dak Prescott for doing something bad, he seems to get his, his shit straightened out when he plays us. Um, I, I'm going to look at this as something like a, 30 to 17 game and it's not even that close we lose I'm thinking that this is a 34 to 24 loss I think that on the one hand this team has gotten better Um, defensively I don't think we'll be seeing Amari Cooper wide open down the field Uh, but I do think he'll be open down the field (laughs) Um, (laughs) I, 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 uh, I think that this game will be closer but this team is just not not good enough yet. I mean, they need to get better blocking, and they need to get better rushing the passer. And we'll see what Leonard William does for that. But it's it's he's been on the team for like a week, so. And you know, and Dallas is one of the most schizophrenic teams we've seen this year too. Yeah, I mean, that's there, true. Are time, there are times that look like they're going to be representing the NFC in the Super Bowl, and then there's times when they're losing to the Jets. So, you know. Which Cowboy team are we going to see? They they were off last week? They were off last week. 
Yeah. So they've had a, a long, long time to prepare for this game. Um, as of this moment, we're recording this on a Sunday night at 10.30 p.m. Uh, Garrett is not on the hot seat. That doesn't mean in 20 minutes he will be on the hot seat again. Yeah. So, <laughs> but I, I think it's a very tall task. Um, Giants haven't played well in prime time in a while. And uh, I, I just don't think tomorrow night's going to be the night. Yeah, I, I don't think so either. I, I think that there's going to reach that point in the late third quarter, early fourth quarter, where it seems to be the big fuck up for the Giants offense leads to the double digit lead for the other team and we just can't fight back from that at that point. Um, but I will feel worse about it if this team performs just as badly as they did week one. But I I don't see that happening. I will feel worse if I just don't see an effort. If I start in this... Oh, well, that, that start, goes to that question. I don't I'm care who we're see, playing or when. Yeah, I'm saying if I start to see things that we're now looking at the backside of the season as opposed to the any hope of it... You know, if I see a Janoris Jenkins' lack of effort, you know, I see some of the guys that are looking to get paid, not doing their thing. That's where I'm going to really start to worry. Um, but yeah, I will be watching this game through the lens of what we talked about. Of I'm watching a team in Week Nine. What am I seeing better than I saw in Week One against a common opponent? So that'll be interesting to watch. I, I will say that I don't anticipate that either, only because this team seems to be holding themselves accountable. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to go into this too much, but they did hold a players-only meeting to try and figure out what the hell is going on where they can't. Yeah, we we did mention that last week that they they did have a players-only meeting, and it was pretty publicized that they were going to do it before. Um, did you hear any leaks? Whatever came out of that meeting, or no, I didn't. Um, it, not much was made of that because it happened right around the trade deadline. Yeah, it's just sort of like you heard more stories about it was going to happen. And it just seemed to kind of not be news anymore. So well, I mean, like, it, unless a player leaked what came out of that, it wasn't coming from anywhere else. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I don't know. Um, but, but I mean, that's a good sign right there. That's a team that it doesn't seem to be just like, oh, shucksing it. Yeah, I mean, they're, they are making an effort to kind of Stem the tide now. I mean, if this was something where in week 13, you probably wouldn't see this. But a team that still feels they can turn the tide and make a run at the playoffs, even though it's realistically not possible, is still a good thing. And it means also that, you know, as much as we bag on on uh, Pat Shermer on this on this show, it means he still has the locker room. Yeah, I would, I would are, say so, yeah. They are still going to play for him. And that may be that may be one of the reasons, quite frankly, he's still the coach. Is that you know they weigh that pretty big on the criteria of what his him doing a successful job above and beyond wins and losses because I think they knew him coming in here that was going to take a while to do so. Players have a who gives a shit attitude. That's something that could really weigh negatively against him. It, it doesn't appear that way. I mean, there's going to be some individual griping. You know, you know, veterans are not going to want to be in this situation any longer. But as a whole. It was an encouraging sign that there was a meeting. Yeah. All right, that's that's all I've got. So I hope you guys are, if not at the stadium where a lot of the season ticket holders have sold off their tickets because it's Monday night, (laughs) then I hope that you are there in spirit with us uh, cheering on your favorite local sports team. 
we actually have two extra tickets next to uh, Grump and I. If you're interested in buying them at face value, uh, DM DM me, the cranky fan, or football underscore Grump, or just Giants Pod, and we will hook you up, and you can have a three-hour treat of watching a game with us. Yeah. We have no sponsors, so we can't pay for your ticket, but uh, we'll sell them to you for face value, so yeah. let us know. <laughs> you, you get the, the honor of being next to us. And hearing his bitch, <laughs> you get it's a bonus episode, really, is what it is. Yeah, it's an unedited one, kind of like this show is. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and our 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 schedule this week is we will do a show Tuesday. Although I will not be on it, I have to take a little medical leave for a little bit. Mm. Uh, I'm okay, but uh, I will not be available this week. I'm hoping to be back for our uh, Thursday night show, but we'll see. So the grump will be in. We'll be flying solo for the review, so I will. I will be in uh, full mode, though. I promise to give you my best effort. How's that? Yeah, sounds good. All right, all right, everyone. Be sure to follow us on Twitter. I'm at football underscore grump, and the podcast is available on Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, you name it. Yeah, we had somebody ask, "Are we on Spotify?" The answer is yes. Yep. So, pretty much wherever you get your other podcasts, we are there as well. Just and if we're, if we're not, let us know. We'll figure out how to yeah, get no there. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, we need to be all over the place. So, you know, we're trying to get as many Giant fans as possible. And, and more importantly, we're trying to get sponsors so we can get paid and paid in full. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll start with the fans and we'll work our way to the money. So, <laughs> um, And the Cranky Fan is available on Twitter as well, at the Cranky Fan. Yes, sir. Lots to talk about. You can, you can revel in my misery for this past weekend and we can look forward to the future. So where everything I am associated with is in a rebuild. So, it is. All right, everyone. We will see you later this week after the game. Go Giants. Go Giants.